Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative, a podcast that challenges what it means to be a high performer. Here are your hosts, Lauren Williams and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Taylor Cook joins the show and we talk about how she got started on her high performance journey where her mental health struggles came from and how all of the work that she's done has changed her life. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative on your favorite podcast platform and jump over to Apple and leave us a rating and review. If you have any high performance questions, any questions about mental health or you want to share with us, drop those in the review and we will be sure to answer them on an upcoming show. Lastly, we would love if you checked out highperformancenarrative.com and you can find out all things that Lauren and I are doing. And you can also connect with either of us on LinkedIn and connect with Lauren on Instagram. So definitely do all those things. Everyone, I really appreciate you listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And here is the interview with Taylor Cook. We are live. Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, we have our in-house high performance coach and former first overall draft pick, Lauren Williams. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing great. Things are a little chaotic here, but we're rolling with the punches this week, so ready to go. (laughs) We are definitely rolling with the punches. Dogs are everywhere. Chaos is happening. And we have a special guest with us today, too. All the way from, I think, Taylor's in Germany now and another elite high-performance coach, Taylor Cook. Taylor, how are you? Hey guys, good to see you both again. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing with all the chaos going on? You know, we're hanging in. (laughs) We actually just had a, we had a great conversation with our leadership group. Um, And I think some of the progress that we're seeing within that group is fueling me moving forward. I don't know about you, Rob, but it's great to see. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, for me, I always love to see it, and I always love to see, especially from some of the people in the group, where not only where they've come and how far they've come, but even just seeing opportunities for more and seeing opportunities for sustainment. And I think that's the key aspect that we're trying to hammer in now. Like we're at week 10 or 11 of the program of a 12-week program, And it's really about how do we take what we've learned and implement it so we don't lose it. And I think that's where you're turning something you've learned into a habit. And that's really the nuts and bolts of change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even just hearing people say, like, we're looking forward to figuring out how we can continue to sustain this stuff is really one of those big factors that lets you know that not only are they bought in, but that they like what they're learning and that they're planning on continuing to use it moving forward. 
which how many times have we said in the, in the group is like, if you take this stuff and you do it while you're in the course and then leave it behind, you're not going to get the changes that you want out of it. And that's what, like, that's what all this stuff is. And maybe Taylor will let you, will let you dig in here. Like you've done some high performance work on yourself, but also now you teach it and you coach it. Like, what do you see out there either in your own experience or your experience with your clients in terms of like sustainability? I think sustainability is like an interesting concept because I mean, coming from where I first started back home before getting into mindset training, like I was very different than who I am now after going through like the mindset courses and stuff. And, and I was just kind of reaching around in the dark, hoping to kind of find my way to where I wanted to go. And I didn't have any sort of direction. Um, and then it was like getting into the mindset space and, and realizing all of the tools that you have at your fingertips to not only cha- like choose the direction you want to go, but to actively and consistently apply those tools to get there like as fast as you possibly can. Um, and, and consistency is what's the most important in my opinion, because if you're, I mean, it's one thing to apply these, uh, these tools and strategies once at first and okay, cool. I I can do this. But the second that you stop, you stop seeing the results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like this idea of like actually actively being able to choose where you want to go. I think a lot of people in life think that they're actively choosing what they want to do when the reality of it is, is their subconscious programming is choosing for them and they don't even know that it's happening behind the scenes. And that's so much of what we coach um, in terms of like, hey, you got to figure out what programming is dictating your life right now because that's 95 to 97% of all the decisions that you're making. People think that they're in control, but the reality is, is until you start to do this work, you don't even know what you can be in control of half the time. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, (laughs) I don't know, like my, my whole life is so different than where I ever would have imagined it would have been today, especially like coming from little Brantford, Ontario, now living in Germany, playing professionally. Like to me, like that's, that's not what I thought that my life would have been. But after like working with you, Lauren, and like getting to learn more about uh, like mindset strategies and actively applying them and working on myself to change those unsustainable habits that I did have is what has allowed me to grow not only as an athlete, but as a person and choose exactly what it is that I want to do with my life. So let's, I want to dig more there, Taylor. So like what what has that journey been from you and you mentioned like you're from Brantford and you live in Germany like what's the journey and what what did you see for yourself like basically pre-Lauren and what are you choosing now okay loaded question um I asked the deep uh, questions we only ask those kind of questions here (laughs) I love it I love it um yeah. So like I said, from Brantford, Ontario, um, for those that don't really know much about Brantford, it's a pretty small town uh, in my opinion, but um, grew up playing hockey there. Uh, decided at like 14, 
I wanted to take a break. I just wasn't loving it the same way I had used used to enjoy going. And so I took the summer off and then, I don't know, I just had some epiphanies throughout the summertime and realized like, okay, I don't know why I ever decided to stop playing. Like, let's go back and, and try out. So go to tryouts and I got cut from the team, which at that point in time was like devastating. I was a young kid and like I'd played there my whole life. Didn't know what else was going to be out there. Um, but it was honestly like the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it pushed me outside my comfort zone. It forced me to go outside my, my small hometown and search for a team to play for. So I ended up playing in Haldeman for two seasons. And then I got, uh, got noticed by Brock university. They offered me a spot for their team. Um, and then I had Stony Creek junior Sabres message me and say that they had an open spot for a goalie. So then I was faced with these like two decisions. I'd already, I'd already graduated high school at this point. So I was like, okay, well, do I go straight to university and play for a university team? Which also at the time I had no idea that that was even like a thing. (laughs) Um, Or do I go and play in junior for a season and I don't know, get extra, extra skill development, that kind of stuff. So I chose to go and play in Stony Creek. Um, Ended up playing there for two seasons before I went to St. Thomas University in New Brunswick, where I played for five seasons. And at graduation, I was hoping originally to go and play in the CW, which folded the same year that I graduated. (laughs) So (laughs) it's, uh, yeah, it was, I didn't really know what I was going to do, honestly. So um, luck just kind of happened to happen that I got an email from this random lady in Kazakhstan that they're looking for a goaltender uh, to play in their professional league. And I was, I was like, where's Kazakhstan? <laughs> I had no idea. So anyway, I looked into it. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. So I'll just like go live in this very foreign country and see what happens. Right. So it was like a three-year contract. I was very excited. Like there was a lot of Olympic uh, potential for it because they wanted to, uh, they wanted me to take citizenship and then I would have been competing uh, in hopes of then like qualifying for the Olympics and stuff. And then like three weeks uh, before I would have been leaving, uh, I got an email and they pulled the contract. <laughs> so that was super devastating. Um, I took the time that I needed then to to feel what I needed to feel and then just thought, okay, something better is around the corner. Very next day, I had an offer from a team in Hungary. And I was thinking, okay, U25 team in Hungary, like, awesome. I'm super excited to go and travel and play. They put my player transfer through and the Hungarian Federation rejected it. (laughs) So it was like an uphill battle just to get to Europe for me. Um, So I actually ended up going to Hungary originally uh, to, to coach is what I ended up doing. So I coached for a couple months and then... You know, the stars just kind of aligned. And then there was an opportunity that came up for me to play in Norway. Uh, So I played in their top division there for the last two seasons. um, And I made the the move to Germany this season. So that's that's my story in a nutshell, I guess. (laughs) And we've we've talked about this a lot, but there's always a component to athlete stories of dealing with resiliency and how to come back from setbacks. But we often talk about that in terms of things like injury, which you've also dealt with, um, or like not meeting a goal in a season. 
But what it, was it like for you trying to apply some of those same principles that you learned throughout your career in terms of bouncing back when it was something that was completely out of your control, like, you know, a government denying your visa to go play or, you know? Yeah. Um, for me, I, I don't really know. It's the one thing that I've always really prided myself on is the ability to adapt to the situations that I'm dealt in life. Um, I've gone through, looking back, I've gone through like a lot of shit, which I didn't, you know, at the time I didn't have the tools that I needed to get through it in those moments, but I was the one who just figured everything out along the way. So like really just having hope that, that like something better was coming along. Like it was just a constant hope for me. Um, but I think what was really important, especially in those like big moments where like things happen that are so out of your control that like you, you just get blindsided by them is just to like sit and feel it and just soak in that feeling and, and make peace with it. Like I couldn't control the fact that uh, the Kazakhstan government had some sort of change and then the team had to pull a contract for me. And I couldn't help that the Federation in Hungary rejected my, my player transfer. It was tough. It was really hard, but I just, I've always rolled with the punches. I, I don't really know how else to, to really describe it, I guess. And I think that's, I mean, that's something that I'm still learning, but it's it's a skill, right? And it, it is a skill to sit with a feeling and to ride the DBT wave. Um, and it's something that you can practice. And I think that, that a lot of people listening, I am also, myself included, like we were basically told as athletes to sort of stem that to kind of stifle it, right? And, and that's where, you know, we get to, like I'm 33 right now and I don't know how to do that, right? And so you're kind of stunted in a way where you're like, well, it feels bad and shut it down, yeah. right? And then it's like, shut it down and lean into something that you have control over, like go to the gym, go work out, try to, you know, send out more resumes, like whatever that looks like for you, it's like, how did you get to a point where you could just sit with a feeling and feel comfortable that you could survive? It took me a really long time to get to that point. Um, I learned how to do it in university, actually. Um, that's where I faced most of the, the struggles in my career. Like up until that point, I'd never seen any sort of injury, never really had any sort of uh, mental health problems at all. Um, but when I got to university, that's when the injury started to happen. And then towards the end of my career, that's, that's when I started to experience a lot of mental health problems. Um, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I grew up with, with a dad who had a lot of mental health problems. So I was very versed um, with how to handle some things. Um, but it's, it's so different to watch someone go through something like that versus actually going through it yourself. Um, like I was able to be there for my friends when I was playing junior who suffered from, uh, depression and stuff. And I, 
had no problem like answering a phone at like three o'clock in the morning or like going the extra mile for them to make sure that they were okay. But then when it, when it comes to you, it's just so different. Like I didn't want to open up about it at all, even though I knew like it was okay that I was feeling the way that I was feeling, but it was still such a vulnerable thing to experience and to let somebody else in to see the mess that's going on in your head is a scary thing. And I don't think that really gets talked about enough. Like everybody says, it's okay not to be okay, which of course that's, that's the case, but it's a completely different thing to like have someone else, whether it's a friend, like therapist, family member to literally see inside your psychology and see like, wow, that's fucked up. Like that sucks. (laughs) Um, so it, it took me going through the mental health stuff, uh, to really be able to sit with those feelings and, and also being alone. That's what helped me a lot too, is just not having this dependency on, on friends or family or like a phone or a partner or or whatever, like trying to mute how you're feeling. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So that's when I decided like, all right, well, let's just lean into it, sit with it and yeah, just figure it out from there. <laughs> How did that look like for you? Because I know like for me, well, one, I would say that being alone hurts me a lot. Um, just the way that my brain works, I think too much. Um, and then I spiral but like for me, it took me about nine months before I, I asked for help. Like I started struggling, you know, it got really dark for me. Like I did a few things like I called the EAP and that was not helpful. And then I talked to like a couple people, but it really took me nine months before I basically walked into a hospital and said, hey, like I need help. How did that process look for you? And like, because like you're right, like I talk about that a lot too, right? Is like it takes so much courage that people don't understand to that you need to like it's it's not just like I want to die and you just want to sit on the couch or you do whatever coping strategy that you have, whether that's eating too much, uh, exercising, drinking, whatever, gambling, shopping, whatever you're using to cope. Um, but then it takes so much to like actually step up and say, Hey, I need help from somebody. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're so right. And it took a long time for me as well, actually. Um, a lot of, a lot of my stuff started in my third year. Um, this was shortly after my grandmother passed away really suddenly. Um, and it just, it just hit me like, like a brick wall. Um, she passed away, like in her sleep, she was in good health. Like, anyway, next thing I know, like we had just played a game against St. Mary's and of course it's weekend, you know, we don't have any more games. So we came back to our place. We're all drinking, we're getting ready to go out. And then I get a call from my mom and, and she's like, you know, grandma passed away. And, and I was, I don't know if I was in like so much shock or like maybe just had like a couple drinks and was just like <laughs> a little loopy or whatever, but I was like, that's not funny. Like that's not a funny joke. And she was like, I'm not joking. Like I'm being serious. I'm like, Oh, 
Right. Okay. And then like after that, it just being at home for like the next week, I don't really remember anything from that. Um, but then when I came back to school, I was just constantly depressed all the time. Like I didn't really have this drive to go out and, and go to school or to go to the rink. And like, I mean, I, I know Lauren can, can probably relate, like not wanting to go to the rink is like a huge, huge red flag. Um, and also yeah. a perceived huge problem <laughs> when your job is going to the rink, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, I started to have that feeling come up again, which was super tough. Um, but like you, like you said, we have these coping strategies and I wasn't really aware of it at the time, but, um, instead of like, I just didn't want to be at the ring. So instead of putting my energy into my sport, I actually started to put it into like every single other aspect of my life. So I was, like perfect student. Like I was head of the, um, like the school's athletic athletic committee, um, did like a ton of community service work was just doing everything that I could to like make myself feel better. And it just didn't. (laughs) And even when I got like those great awards at the end of the season, like being academic all Canadian and getting like the Cassie Wadden commitment award and being nominated for like an AUS conference award. I was like, this is great. I'm happy. I think, I don't know. (laughs) And it just, I don't know. It, it was really hard. And I think I also was, I was in a relationship at the time and this is like no shade to him. um, But we just, yeah, I mean, he was very immature and I was kind of making myself smaller and fitting into this little box. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with the anxiety part that I started to feel because the depression is what happened first. I sort of kind of recovered from that. And then once we got like more involved, I just, that's when all the anxiety started to kick in. And I didn't know like what was going on. I didn't understand it. Um, but I just constantly felt like I was walking on eggshells and I just felt like I was trapped inside my body and I like couldn't do things that I wanted to do, not because of him, but just, I don't know if it's just was like the, the construct of the relationship that we had like cultivated at that point in time. And yeah, I mean, it was just like constant arguing, which led to like more anxiety, which like, I didn't want to be home. And then like, you know, I was just doing everything that I could like working a ton of hours, like just anything I could to, to not feel anything is what I was essentially trying to do. Just trying to push it all down. And yeah, it did not work to say the very least. <laughs> and then um, one day I just, I reached this point where I was just so, so low. And finally I was like, okay, like I need to see somebody. So I went into our team's uh, doctor and explained to her like why I was there. And she gave me this little um, like questionnaire thing to fill out. (laughs) And uh, so I was like, okay, like going through the questions or whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm probably just like being dramatic about this. Like, it's probably not even that bad, like, you know? And so I filled this out and she comes back and she says, are you okay? I'm like, well, yes, but like, no, I'm here for a reason, you know? Uh, And she was like, well, no, no, no. Like you scored 
unusually high, which is not a good thing. And that's when I was diagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety and she gave me a medication for it. And, you know, that started to help a little bit, but I think it was like seeing a counselor and she's the one who helped me get into the emotions and start talking about those emotions and unpacking them a little bit. And I think that's what's really helped me to be able to be comfortable sitting in those emotions alone. It's, it's funny, right? Like the, the, the survey or the questionnaire, I still remember like I was in the ER. It was like eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. And like literally the doctor like goes and prints off the, the questionnaire from the internet. And I was like, what, what are we doing here? Like, this is the diagnostics. Like, this is, this is it. Like, I could have done this at home. Why do I need you? That was like literally the thought in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, well, here's a pill. Go home. And I like, I still think it's, it's, I mean, we talk about this on the show a lot, like with Lauren and we talk about like, like the criteria for what, you know, fits you in a box and stuff. And I still think like it's irresponsible and unethical for them to do it in the way they do. And, well, I mean, like, like they don't give you any support about it. They just say, yeah, you're depressed or you have anxiety. Here's some pills. Hopefully it gets better. Like, that's, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like in some cases, yeah, like those pills are really necessary. Like my dad was bipolar. If he didn't have the meds that he had, he wouldn't have fared very well. Um, but like for anxiety, you don't need to have pills for that technically. Like if you have the proper coping strategies and you have somebody to help you understand what you're feeling and, and to work with you through that and to unpack those reasons behind that feeling, that's what's liberated me. And I'm not taking it away from anybody who is taking meds for it or anything like that. Like if it's seriously very severe, then yes, of course, like I'm, I'm not a doctor, but yeah, to me, I was just like, that's it. Yeah. But I think that's a big piece of the conversation, right? And, and what you said too was, yeah, the medication helped, but it was the, the counselor that I saw that ultimately like started to move the needle. And that's when I really noticed a change. And I think what we've come back to over and over on this show is that our culture sets us up to believe that a pill is like the one-stop shop fix for things and whether or not the the training isn't adequate or it's just kind of that default response is to all right well they came in we gave them a pill let's let them go maybe we'll give them some referrals for counseling i do think we need to do a better job of saying hey look here's the pill but also you need to be doing this Mm. And then support the individual in getting them there. Saying like, okay, we're, whether that's walking them to it or, you know, having somebody on site that can support that transition into counseling, I think would be super helpful. And again, I'm not an expert in this area. So if that already exists, somebody can correct me and that's great. Um, but it is interesting how 
with high performers or high achievers, I should say, we are conditioned to think that pushing the emotions away and not dealing with them is actually a positive coping mechanism. It's <laughs> the worst it, possible thing you can do. Right. It just like ties everything into like these really tight knots. It's like, it's like if you have a necklace and you like just put it in one spot and then it gets like jumbled around and then gets all knotted together. It's like trying to untie that. Like it's the worst thing ever. And it's so difficult. Yeah. And as athletes, especially hearing your coaches, or I should say female athletes, actually, I don't know about you, Taylor, but I heard this all the time was I was too emotional. And now that I'm older and I do this kind of work and I help people with this stuff, I'm like, what the hell kind of advice is that? Like, <laughs> Your emotions help you. Your emotions are telling you how to behave in, a, in an environment and are like the key indicator for if something is going to go well or not. And they're your window into your psychology. And if you want to figure out how to be the best athlete, the best performer in anything, you have to figure out what your psychology is telling you about your beliefs, about yourself and your ability to get stuff done. So if there's a coach listening to this and you've told your athletes that they're too emotional or that they need to suppress their emotions, go back, hit undo and talk to them about what they actually need to do with their emotions. And it's not bury them because they're so important and when people bury emotions that's when you end up with things like anxiety and and depression because we're not dealing with these huge signals that are trying to tell us what's going on in our environment yeah absolutely and like that's that's 100 why i started to develop the anxiety in the first place is because i was i was putting myself in that box and just not addressing it. Like I was experiencing emotions that I probably should have been dealing with in the first place. Um, but as a female athlete, we're told like, you know, just tough it out, like go get through it and you'll be good. Um, so like, that's what I tried to do. And, and it just made it 10 times worse. And it wasn't until I acknowledged them and started to confront them and work through them. And also to, step outside my comfort zone and the sense of doing something that was good for myself. So like breaking off that relationship, like that is what ultimately allowed me to heal really. I think, I think, I mean, there's, there's a few things there, right? Like, like I think I, I would, would say I've never heard I'm too emotional um, but likely that's because I, I was already shut down before, before I got to sports. Um, it's not really a male thing, but there's a lot of just like basically suck it up and just push through. Right. And you've heard that we all hear that that's what yeah. athletes are. And I think that's the, the other piece of it is I don't think that a lot of mental health professionals or doctors understand the level of which what we're able to push through like i've had many masseuses tell me oh i'm digging in as hard as i can and you don't even flinch like what's wrong with you and it's like no this is just like 
what I am, right? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, and, and my psychologist is like, well, you know, it's probably like PTSD or something. But, it, but it's like, it's just what you become. And like, you're right, like Taylor, like I scored, it was over 55, I think, on the Beck's depression inventory, like a few months ago. And it's like, they don't understand. They, and then they sit in front of you and they go, how many times do you think about suicide a day? And I'm like, how's like all the time I'm awake? <laughs> like, how is that? And like, where's the line here between when you're going to lock me away? And like, and, and I just think like they have no concept of what we are. It's an interesting um what's the way to put it like the way that we divert a little bit from the like the rest of the population in that like as elite level athletes you learn to push through things you learn to experience things that you don't like like physically your body is screaming at you while you're doing like different training or beep test, hundred percent the beep test. beep test yeah beep test any kind of fitness test you're like well I can do this for 30 minutes. I can do this for, you know, I can do anything for 30 more seconds. And you learn to, like, read these red flags that come up in your body as something that you should push through. And I think that also gets applied to our mental health as we experience these red flags. And our innate response is like, well, I can, I can get through that. I'm fine. Like, I'll find a way to push through that just like I push through everything else. It's no different. And that's where we see people doing things like what you did, Taylor, where you're like, okay, well, if the rink is no longer my happy place, I'm going to find it somewhere else. I'll push through and I'll try to mask it up as much as I can with a lot of things that are supposed to make me good because people told me it would make me feel good. And when that doesn't work, sit there and we go, Oh God, what is going on? You get that mm -hmm. achievement and you look there and you're like, what next? This was supposed to be it. Yeah, exactly. And like, especially like for me, when I was doing the community work, right? Like that's what I was I, looking back now. I mean, like I felt not, I, I can't even say fulfilled in the moment, but I felt good about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I think had I, maybe dealt with the things that were going on in my life as well as doing that, it would have been actually fulfilling. Like it wasn't just like me trying to fill my time with things so I could avoid everything else that was going on in my head. Cause I couldn't shut it up. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like how I've, how I coped. I just like burnt myself out because I was just like, all right, like, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Like anything I could get my hands on, like, let's do that yeah. because I didn't want to think about it. Let's take a full course load on top of everything else. Oh yeah, I did. Like I did full course load. And then I also did like, uh, like a pre-thesis seminar mm -hmm. on top of a full course load on top of hockey on top of a part-time job. So like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. good times. Zero time to think about anything else other than your responsibility equals yeah. zero time to even touch your emotions. I mean, needless to say, I'm great at organizing and time management now. So that's, that's the plus that came out of that. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
So always trying to find the performance adder. <laughs> always. Like, oh, yeah, that wasn't so good, but this is what I learned. So that's good. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I wanted to get back to it. Like you mentioned that you're in a place now that you've you never would have dreamed about or thought of was possible. Like, where did you think you were going to end up? And like, how did you shift that thinking? Or how did that sh thinking shift for you? Well, like I said, I mean, I didn't know that even university hockey was a thing when I was younger. So just having the opportunity to even go to play at university level was like it for me. Like I didn't think or was even aware that there was anything after that until I started to see a couple of my older teammates go on and play overseas and then also like play in the CWHL and stuff. So originally when I graduated that, that's what my hope was. I'd applied to the CW draft and next thing I know they folded. So I was like, eh like what what am I gonna do now um so honestly I didn't even have a vision for myself coming at a university I didn't have a career lined up or a job or anything like I was just like free spiriting it the whole time it's like okay well Kazakhstan sure let's do that you know um so I mean yeah as far as vision goes I didn't even have one um when I was a kid like yes I wanted to play at the national level like um but then you know we can maybe dig into like the limiting belief system uh, a little bit here. But uh, as I started to move on and like get older and, and I mean, if you know anything about Canada hockey, like if you don't get noticed at U 18s, you probably aren't going to get noticed at U 21. You're probably not going to get noticed for national anything. Right. So that's what I just kept telling myself. So I was just like, all right, well, I guess university is it. Like that's going to be like my highlight essentially. And then I just chose to follow my intuition after that. I didn't have a vision as to what, what it was going to look like. I just was like, okay, this feels right. Let's go for it. Like, and then once I got to Hungary, I was, I didn't really enjoy the coaching because I still wasn't finished playing, you know, like I love working with younger kids. I love like helping them develop and stuff, but as far as purely only being able to coach and not play, that was like, red flag emotions coming up. Like, I don't like this. Um, so of course, once Norway came up, that's when I was like, Hey, I have to take this. Like this is meant to be. And, and even when I flew out, um, they flew me out for a weekend to go and try out and like get to know the girls and see if it was a fit for both like them and myself. And the second that I got off that plane, I knew that's where I was supposed to be. Like, I just felt it in my gut. So I didn't even think twice about it. I was like, yep. Norway it is. And then, you know, um, uh, had injury in, in March and been working my way back from that. But uh, my partner ended up getting a job here in Germany, which is actually what led me here. So um, unfortunately, we're in the north of Germany, which there isn't a ton of uh, hockey towns up here, especially for women's hockey. So I think the closest uh, women's team is like 300 clicks away. So um, I got an offer to play for a division four men's club here and that's what I'm going to be doing. And rehabbing a newly fixed knee. <laughs> yes. A nice, beautiful MCL reconstruction. <laughs> Looks good. But I think, and hmm, how to say this, um, 
the ability to follow your intuition is not something that comes to a lot of people, even close to naturally, right? Like people Mm -hmm. hear their intuition and, and they get that gut feeling about something, but their immediate reaction is like, oh, it's just the kid in me. Like, that's not realistic. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I mean, I don't really know how you guys feel about this, but like, I was never really a spiritual person until COVID hit. Um, (laughs) Like COVID, I think COVID just changed everybody's lives, honestly. But um, yeah, once COVID hit, I ended up reading this book called The The Power of Now. And it talks a lot about like the ego and the conscious being and stuff. And and then that's when I started to get into like manifestation and like how to like manifest things in your life that you, you want. And so I started to do a little bit of inner work before I even met Lauren and stuff. And, and I started to ask myself, like, what is it that I wanted to do when I was a kid? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, just, all I wanted to do is play hockey. That's all I wanted to do. So like, even when I had to like flee Norway, when COVID hit and come back home for five months, um, I had people telling me like, Oh, like, you're not going to go back. Are you like, that's crazy. I'm like, of course I'm going to go back. Why is that crazy? Like, well, don't you think it's time to grow up and get a real job? Huh? What is a real no. job? I don't know. For, for someone who's worked, quote unquote, real jobs and just quit <laughs> last week. Um, no. Yes, congrats on that. that. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I see how miserable all of like my, like my friends and family are that work those like shift work jobs or like nine to five or like, cor- like whatever it is really like. They just work for the weekend and that's it. Like, um, that doesn't sound like a fun time to me. Like, I'd rather explore, uh, explore the world and, and do exactly what it is that I want to do and have control over my schedule. And, you know, like, um, yeah, I just started to believe in myself and start to dream a little bit more. And that's when everything really started to, to change. That's the other piece of the puzzle too, right? When we're talking about intuition and wanting to follow it, if you don't have the belief in yourself to be able to do it, then that voice in your head that says, this isn't realistic, gets louder and louder. But as soon as you're able to foster that positive belief in yourself to, for lack of better words, figure it out as you're going through it, until you do that, it's, it's hard to make that decision. And I always challenge people to question why they think they can't do it. Like, what is it that's in the way of of you following what you really want to do? And if it has anything to do with somebody else's judgment, um, things like, you know, yes, money is important and we need money. But if that's one of your primary concerns, I always say you will figure it out. You always yeah. find a way to figure it out. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, if if my life had a tagline, I think that's what it would be. Just like <laughs> figuring it out along the way, yeah. because I I never had like this. You know, I mean, of course, it's one thing to like dream about being on the national team at a young age, but like to consistently like be thinking about that every day, like that that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like everything in my life that's happened has literally just been me figuring it out along the way. Like I didn't have any mentors around to really help me out. Like I didn't have a a ton of 
resources before getting to junior. So a lot of it was just, uh, you know, good luck, good timing and hard work. It's funny, right? Like Lauren, you talk about the judgment piece and I think it's incredibly hard to overcome that. And even like even me, like basically, I guess it would have been a few weeks ago, I was talking to my parents and like I told them like basically I quit my job and they're like, oh, well, what are you going to do now? And it's like, well, like, oh, like I'm doing this leadership coaching. It's like well, they knew that I was doing it anyways. And then it's like, well, how much do they how, like what are they paying you? And it's like, well, it's whatever you can sell, right? Yeah. And and I think, like, I still feel it now. And it's like, I don't live with them. They live on the other side of the country. Like, inherently, they have no real impact on my day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. And yet, like, you still feel this judgment that you need to appease them in some certain way. Yeah. And I and I think like for people out there, it's like, yeah, it's just like accepting that that you're gonna feel that, and then hopefully working to a point where, and like this is where like I'm not super spiritual, Taylor, but for me, what what really helped me was the work with like ketamine and like the psychedelic work that I've been doing. Um, with my psychiatrist has been because it, it shows you things that I was not able to access because of like depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it was what I could see in that was changed a lot for me. I'm actually super interested about like the psychedelic experience, honestly, like I've heard so many people say that it's like changed their life on in such a good way. And they experience something that is so difficult to describe. And then just, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never really dabbled in it at all. Uh, so yeah. Um, next time I'm back in Canada, like, let me know. And, uh, <laughs> well, so give, I, give her a shot. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it was like as some people talk about it as this like massively transformative thing. I don't know if it's necessarily that. For me, I went and sought ketamine because of like the problems I was having finding medication for depression. Like basically until a month ago, I had tried, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, 18 different medications and basically had adverse reactions to all of them. Mm -hmm. um, the one I'm on now seems to be working. I just don't sleep anymore. <laughs> Which, um, like, um, I might categorize that as an adverse reaction. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just... Yeah, it works great. I just don't sleep ever, so... <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, I, I do think, and, and Taylor, this is where I would, I would say you might want to consider going is is find a therapist that does interfamily systems therapy so ifs and, and what it is is it's a visualization type of therapy that talks about inner parts that you have and, and i know you would have done some of this with lauren but 
basically you have 30 to 40 inner parts that do th and and if you've seen the movie uh what's that movie again with the feelings where they're like they're at the control and the chick's mind or something anyways it's a pixar movie. Inception? Inside out. inside out oh, inside out inside yes. out our mind <laughs> <laughs> wrong yeah, so, inside the head movie <laughs> so 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 it's kind of like inside out right and and this is mm. where you're going to talk like you mentioned ego right and so you have parts that take over and control you at certain points and like when you were depressed and you leaned into work that was a manager or a firefighter part that took over and said right right hey i'm going to suppress this exiled hurt part and I'm going to cover it up with work. Right? And How generous. Exactly, right? And, and I did the same thing, basically. When I was first depressed, I started running mountains. Um, and then I also basically went to eating one meal per day. And so I lost like, I don't know, 30 pounds or something in like a couple months. I was like complete opposite, like no gym, binge eat everything in the house. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, it, it, like, and this is like, yeah, it's just, it's, it depends like which managers fire when and when, what types you have. And that's where I would go for you is like, it's a way for you to start learning what parts you have and then what you can access just in terms of where you are now. And then once you've sort of done that, that's when I think you have more ability to step into a psychedelic experience and already talk to the parts that you have. And you already know, you know, hey, these are the memories that I need to work on. You know, this is where I'm stuck or this mm -hmm. is what I need to see. And like it'll kind of help you already set up your experience to be something. And it's okay. so interesting how different all of our managers are, right? Because my managers would allow me to like do what you do, what you did Taylor, where like you just binge eat everything in the house. But then whatever my manager is for like fitness and health would be like, yeah, we're going to the gym now. <laughs> right after you're done, we're going to the gym. So I wish I that was my manager, oh my goodness. But at the same well. time, like, that manager just made me feel super shitty about what I had just done, and that's why I went to the gym. <laughs> yeah, it's like like a constant like shame cycle. So it was like I didn't want to go to the gym, and so I'd just eat, yeah. and then I'd feel bad about myself, so I'd eat more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like constant eating food yeah. or, you know, work on work on work on work. And that's yeah, and we gotta wrap up here, but but yeah, that's that's really the difficult part about a lot of this stuff, right? Is is and parts like obviously were created and this is the same stuff as we teach, right? It's like when when various events happen when you were a child, parts were created to basically like prevent you from feeling the way you felt ever again. And so, mm -hmm. like, when people walk in and they have, you know, severe eating disorders, severe gambling addiction, shopping addiction, sex addiction, um, like, depression, anxiety, like, all these things, there are parts at play that are preventing them from feeling whatever it is. Typically, it's shame, but it could be other things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And basically, like, 
Yeah, it's it's the goal of all of this work is exactly what you kind of mentioned at the beginning, right? It, it's how can all of these parts work together for the benefit of the system, which is you or I or Lauren, mm-hmm. and work in harmony as a team. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the challenging part right there is to get everybody aligned on the same page. Um, I mean, like for me, I, I think anybody listening would, I, my advice would be like, uh, if you're experiencing like the red flag emotions, I know the one thing, like I said, like talking to the counselor is what really helped me and like working to unpack those things. But how to unpack those is, it can be different for everybody, but like a good starting point is to go back and identify like when you first started to feel that feeling and what situation was it in? Like who was around you when it was happening? Like, did somebody say something or did you do something or not do something that made you feel that way? Right. And just really dig into that first experience because that first experience will probably tell you a lot about the ones that happen after it. I love it. Now, Taylor, if anyone out there is looking to connect with you and find you, where can they find you? Um, best place is Instagram, probably. Um, so my handle is at Taylor B. Cook underscore. And, uh, or you can go to my, my website. It's uh, Uh You can subscribe there. I don't really do a ton of email or anything like that. But uh, that's probably uh, the best two ways you can get in touch with me. <laughs> Sure. And Taylor also has an unreal podcast called Tailored Minds. So if you want to tune in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll get you guys on there sometime. I've been a little bit MIA the past like two months. So I'm going to work to get some uh, some people in the door and do some recording this upcoming week. I think it's it's been long enough. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll drop all that stuff in the podcast notes. Um, For us, obviously, please subscribe to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to ask either Lauren and I a question, go to Apple, drop us a rating and review and drop the question in the review and we'll answer it on an upcoming show. Lauren, is there anything you want to leave us with today? I would just say that... I think one of the more common themes that we've talked about is the fact that as high achievers, we, we learn to interpret these emotions that we feel with a lot of judgment. And that judgment ends up leading to us burying them and trying to avoid them. And that's when a lot of these problems start. So if for the next little while, if you can just try to feel those emotions and not allow the judgment to creep in and just to see them for what they are and get curious about them. I think that that's when you can start to feel a little bit different and move the needle in a positive direction, even if it's only like 1% better. Um, So yeah, that would be my, my piece of advice moving forward. I love that. And I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take off a little bit of that and say, in in maintenance, we, we talk about like pre- preventative maintenance and condition-based maintenance. And this is a little bit about what you're saying, right? It's instead of waiting for the thing to explode, you want to notice when it's not working well and fix it early or upstream of the, of the massive breakdown. 
And I think that's what we can take also, like we, we can do this in our own lives, right? Is once we start, and we talked about this with Kevin Rempel a few months ago, right? Is like once we start seeing that slip, how can we find the things that will bring us back faster? Or can we start getting, like, can we start that process to look for help further upstream? Because as athletes, we have a high pain tolerance. We've literally been conditioned our whole lives to put up with it. And sometimes it's it's good to get in there before it, it brings us down for a while. <laughs> so... Taylor, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Lauren, thank you as always. And everybody else, we'll see you all next week.